Republicans to wake up. Is the Republican Party right now is not led by conservatives. There's a population out there that has to be told the truth. Uh, we have to. Do it live! Now, from the left coast, it's another podcast edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Peter B. is curious, opinionated, and relentless in pursuit of the truth like a honeybee drawn to pollen. He's an independent progressive, ready to sting Republicans and Democrats alike when they deserve it. After years in commercial radio, Peter B. welcomes you to this audio adventure in news and politics with no corporate filter. Listeners support this program, and you can help at PeterBCollins.com. Here's your humble host, Peter B. Welcome to a fresh edition of the Peter B. Collins Show, coming to you from San Francisco. We're not bouncing off the satellites anymore. We just go through that series of tubes, the Internet. This audio adventure today is brought to you by great listeners like Joe Kells, the tennis pro, Patricia Smith, and John DeVries. They are voluntary subscribers to this show. We give it away free. You can find it on iTunes or on my website, no charge. But if you'd like to support it, I'm very grateful for your help. That's what pays the phone bills and the server bills and keeps it all going. Just go to PeterBCollins.com and click on the tab on the right-hand side that says you can help. And the voluntary subscription options start as low as $5 a month. We're also brought to you by the Organic Wine Company, and there is the new Peter B. Collins Organic Wine Club. Just uh, click on the link on my homepage to get over to the Organic Wine Company or go to OrganicWineCompany.com. And the Wine Club is a great opportunity for you to sample fine organic wines, and they'll ship them to you every doggone month. So it's a real great package. Check it out on the website. Brad Friedman returns to our program today, a leader in the election protection movement in this country. We'll talk to Brad in just a moment, but first the setup. And now this word from our sponsor. Have you lost your appetite for politics? Not interested in big elections? Do you feel ambivalent every four years? You may be suffering from electile dysfunction. <laughs> yes, even when you think the elections come out your way... It doesn't mean that they were properly conducted, that they were uh, managed in a transparent and honest way, and most importantly, that every vote cast was counted. And Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, the publisher, editor, and uh, chief investigative reporter there, joins us once again today with uh, more sad stories of elections in these United States. Hello, Brad. Hey, Peter. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. Uh, for me, I'm glad the elections are over. I was uh, working on a couple of campaigns, mm -hmm. and uh, we came up with one winner, and uh, the other one didn't. Uh, but uh, we had a rough election night because the winning election, Susan Adams, a supervisor here in Marin County, um, we were catching the tabulations on the GEMS software from the county registrar of voters. And it just brought back some uh, uh, bad taste in the mouth from all the things that we've talked about over the years about electronic voting systems. 
And here we fill out a paper ballot, we stuff it into a scanner, and they have taken one uh, safeguard. They no longer uh, use a modem to transmit the tallies from the precinct to the central office. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sheriff deputies uh, arrive at the polling places at 8 p.m. and uh, take the memory card to the central counting office. Um, Still, we shouldn't feel totally confident in these systems, should we, Brad? Uh, No, we shouldn't. And, you know, I'm I'm still thinking about that organic wine you mentioned at the top of the the show. It's been such a week. I I could use a case of that. Okay. On the way. It's on the way. (laughs) No, you know, concealed vote counting is what we're looking at here. And it's certainly concealed when it's on a memory card, as, uh, as you refer to. Uh, to, to the point where, you know, basically whatever they announce at the end of the night is what you theoretically must believe, what the media certainly believes unquestioningly. And it's still a huge problem on every front. And after all of these years, uh, Peter, that you and I have been talking about these issues, the specifics of them, some of them unbelievably alarming, it really does seem like uh, little actually changes. You know, we're looking, uh, I'm just beginning now to look at this election out in South Carolina where they had a, a guy who's jobless, nobody has ever heard of him. Apparently he won the nomination, the Democratic nomination for governor out there. Nobody's ever heard of the guy. He spent no money on his campaign. And the guy who did spend money on his campaign, who was, a, I believe, a state senator, he lost. Nobody can explain why yet, and in fact, out there in South Carolina, they use those uh, 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems, so it may just be that everybody has to sit back and say, okay, well, Alvin Green won, and nobody can explain it, but he'll be the next uh, Democratic nominee out there. Well, because we trust these stupid machines. Now, I realize this is apples and oranges, but Orly Tates didn't win, so I have to believe <laughs> that some votes were counted accurately. Uh, you know, I, I'm very <laughs> disappointed she didn't win. That said, I did notice today on her website, guess what? Orly Tates is now claiming there was, quote-unquote, voter fraud in her race. Really? Yes. And she's actually linking for some bizarre reason to a uh, two or three year old article by our old friend uh, John Gideon and uh, Ellen Tyson of uh-huh. VotersUnite.org on the front page of her website. Really? Go a, figure. A late convert to election integrity. Yeah, and we need her in this movement like a hole in the head. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad has an exclusive for us that we're going to get to a little bit later in the podcast, a uh, breaking story that uh, will be on the Brad blog soon. But I want to start off, Brad, because I was touched by your first-person account. Once again, you went to vote this past Tuesday in Los Angeles County, and tell us what happened. (laughs) Disaster. That's what happened. Uh, Some of your listeners may remember two years ago in the uh, June 2008 state primary when I tried to vote on uh, L.A. County's accessible voting system. That's our e-voting system here for uh, disabled voters, blind voters, uh, mostly for blind voters, because it's an audio ballot system. 
at that point, I uh, had tried to use this uh, this e-voting system, and here it prints out a ballot after you go through all of the the choices and select them with with big buttons. Uh, you know, hearing the audio ballot read to you. It then prints out a ballot with your bubbles filled in, and you take that piece of paper, you run it through an op scanner, and who knows if it's ever counted. Mm -hmm. But uh, two years ago, when I tried to use the system, the uh, machine misprinted four out of 12 of my votes. That's disturbing enough, uh, particularly since these systems are made for blind people, and they would have never known that four out of 12 of their uh, selections had been misprinted. Fortunately, I was able to look at it, spent a lot of time, uh, as others would, I suspect, uh, you know, thinking it was my fault. I must have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. I did it right. I did it correctly. The machine failed, and uh, I ended up voting manually instead so that I could, you know, vote for the people I actually wanted to vote for. But blind people wouldn't have known that. And L.A. County, which is the largest voting jurisdiction in the country, spent a great deal of time trying to figure out what had happened. In the end, they determined that it was, uh, as they usually do, quote-unquote, human error. Mm -hmm. And a poll worker, they said, punched in the wrong numbers, uh, the, the wrong poll number. And I've argued to our uh, county registrar, Dean Logan, of course, that that should never be allowed to happen, that these, uh, you know, folks, these great folks, these volunteers who, who sign up to work impossibly long hours uh, as poll workers, you know, they're not, ex they shouldn't be expected to be computer scientists and rocket scientists. And, uh, you know, it should be a much more uh, foolproof system, but it isn't. After that, one would have thought they would have changed the system. I don't know if they did or not, but they certainly haven't changed it for the better based on what happened to me on Tuesday when I once again asked to vote on the, uh, the uh, e-voting, uh, the accessible e-voting device. This time I was allowed to do it in my own precinct. Previously uh, in my precinct, the machine wasn't working two years ago. The mm -hmm. wires were coming out. They were exposed and nobody would touch it. So I had to vote in the other precinct in my same polling place, Understood. 10 feet away uh -huh. on their machine. This time the machine was working, <laughs> in theory. I sat down. Uh, I was apparently the first and only one to use this system uh, throughout the day. And the audio ballot uh, began in my ears with the headphones on once they figured out how to get it rolling. And it was in Chinese or really? Cantonese or Mandarin or some kind of Asian language that I certainly didn't understand. They had to call the, poll or the uh, county to figure out how to fix that. They told them. They ran it again. It was in Chinese again. <laughs> they called the uh, county again. They asked them how to fix it. Uh, make it in English, and this time, lo and behold, it came up in English, much to my relief. So 15, 20 minutes now into the process, I began voting with the audio ballot, but I noticed that the uh, candidates were being read to me in a different order than were actually in my uh, sample ballot. Uh -huh. I was worried <laughs> that uh, when, when I printed them out, once again, you know, the bubbles would be printed for all different numbers than the folks who I actually wanted. But I figured mm -hmm. I'll go ahead and go through the process. Now, Got now they, yeah. they do um, shuffle the order of right. names appearing on the ballot in the printed ballots. So that's not necessarily a bad thing that the sequence was different from what was in your pamphlet. Well, it, 
they, they shuffle the order, they rotate the, the ballot order from uh, precinct to precinct. Actually, I think from congressional district to congressional district. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's supposed to be so that, you know, you don't have the same person so that Orly Tates isn't the first candidate on everybody's ballot. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so that makes sense. However, it was a little unusual that it would be in a different order here in my precinct when I'm looking at my sample ballot for my precinct. I suspected trouble. And then once I got to the U.S. House of Representatives race, I knew we definitely had trouble because it offered me the candidates for the, uh, uh, for the House, uh, House of Representatives contest in the 31st district. Unfortunately, I don't live in the 31st district. <laughs> well, neither of the candidates do either. So. <laughs> well, no problem there, huh? <laughs> you can carpetbag your vote. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, in theory, you think, well, he, you know, I would have been allowed to vote for a candidate in the 31st district that I'm not even allowed legally to vote for. But in truth, what would have happened had I voted uh, in that contest and had I printed out the ballot, and I suspect, you know, many voters who use these systems would have had no idea whether, you know, the 31st uh, district was right or not. They presumed that the machine was right. But had I voted, it would have printed out the bubbles, and I have no idea who that particular bubble would have actually been recorded for in my precinct. Right. So you know, I wouldn't have voted in the 31st district. I would have voted in my own. But Lord only knows for whom, and every single vote on that ballot would have been printed in, inked in, into a bubble for a different candidate other than the one I had actually hoped to vote for. Every single vote would have been wrong. Now, now, Brad, this only occurs in the hanging chad, uh, old-style punch card ballots where Pat Buchanan got all those votes intended for Al Gore. That's right. Everything has been fixed now uh, 10 years later, right? Apparently not. And so, I, I mean, I was just astounded by this. They, uh, my poll worker then called the, uh, you know, the, the, the county again to ask what to do. They had no idea what to do. Again, this, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation. Uh, so I was given the two options. One, I could either vote manually as I had to do two years ago, uh, or I could wait until another machine arrived. They were going to send one over. They had no idea how long that was going to take, however. I had already been there about an hour at this point. Mm -hmm. And so I came up with a third machine, uh, a third idea, which was, hey, why don't I walk 10 feet over there (laughs) to that other machine in that other precinct here in the same polling place and use that one again, as I had to do two years ago. They said, okay, well, you can, but you'll have to vote provisionally. I said, I don't care. Let's just do it because, frankly, what I was concerned about was that every voting machine in the county of Los Angeles, uh, you know, where you had people using this particular uh, audio ballot, that they were going to be voting in the 31st district no matter where they live. Yeah. So I wanted to find out if that other machine would come up with that same uh, wrong district. Now, now, Brad, on the first yeah. machine, did everything else line up properly? Your state assembly and state senate districts matched where you live? Uh, I don't know, because one, once I got to the 31st district, where, where I don't live, mm-hmm. uh, at that point I uh, raised the red flag. I said, hey, we got a problem here. So I, did not, I was not able to keep going. I see. All I know is uh, the folks on the, the top of the ticket, the right candidates, but in the wrong order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once we got to the U.S. House race, it was all over at that 
machine. And and you don't have to tell me uh, specifics here, but uh, did you vote as a nonpartisan or as a, a did you pull a ballot from one of the major parties? Uh, I, well, I, this uh, comes into play in the next uh, oh. part, step of this woeful tale. Okay, go right ahead. The answer is forthcoming. Okay. Uh, I decided to go ahead and I'll, I'll vote uh, in the other precinct way over there, 10 feet across the room. Uh, on their machine, but I would have to vote provisionally. I said that was okay because I did want to. I was, I am still today quite concerned that every single ballot that was cast on one of these systems has been, uh, you know, recorded incorrectly. Yeah. Uh, so I went to the other machine. They hadn't used theirs either. Nobody had voted on it. Mind you, we've spent some $20, 25000000 million on these systems here in Los Angeles, thanks to the Federal Help America Vote Act. Uh, anyway, it took them about another 10 or 15 minutes to figure out how to program it on that side of the polling place. And I uh, got going, this time in English, <laughs> Yeah. happy to report, and I was allowed to begin voting in the Peace and Freedom Party primary. Well, you're a long time, uh, well, maybe not. No, I'm <laughs> not. While I am in favor of peace and freedom, Yep. I am not a member of that political party, okay. and uh, I had, of course, told them about the problem, and they reset the machine once again after a call to the county, reset the machine, it started going again, and indeed, once again, for the Peace and Freedom Party, they had no idea how to give me the ballot for the party of my choice. Wow. Uh, and, and, uh, and Thomas uh, Jefferson was even there to monitor this? Uh, that's right. Thomas <laughs> Jefferson, actually, the same fellow who two years ago... Uh, had uh, set up the ballot for me that uh, turned out to be uh, where four out of 12 of them were incorrect. Uh, he was still there, great guy, he has a one-man show. I'll go ahead and plug it uh, for Thomas Jefferson. R- read more about it at manfrommonticello.com. Okay. Uh, he's no, no, charge, no charge he for that, Tom. another shot at it this year, <laughs> but was disappointed because they couldn't figure out how to enter in what party I should be voting in. Uh-huh. And they had a piece of paper that had the audio codes, the numbers, apparently, that you're supposed to press in for the corresponding party. But uh, while all the parties were listed there, there was no codes listed there. They were blank, which was astounding. <laughs> a minor oversight. Uh, yeah, a minor oversight. As a matter of fact, one of the poll workers said, you know, I asked about that during the poll training, but they told me it'll be there on Election Day. <laughs> I mean, this is Three Stooges level. This is beyond Three Stooges level because, you know, I was just astounded that surely there must be some place to choose the party. You know, I mean, what I did was had them go through the entire process, the entire setup process for the ballot on the little uh, computer screen that they have. Mm -hmm. And I've got pictures of uh, each and every screen in the setup process at bradblog.com. I I see it right now. Uh Yeah. And indeed, there's about five different screens from beginning to end until the time that, uh, you know, the audio ballot begins playing and I get to vote. And there is, in fact, no choice for party. Mm -hmm. It never comes up as an option to key it in. So will they blame this one as well on the uh, on the human error of the poll workers and, and poor Thomas Jefferson? I, you know, I, I don't know, because I'm still waiting to hear back from the uh, Secretary of State or the uh, Los Angeles County Registrar, Dean Logan. Uh, he wrote back with a terse note to say, 
thank you, we will investigate and get back to you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he was not happy to hear from me, given what happened two years ago, and the fact that it appears to be the exact same problem. In fact, I was never able to cast a vote on this machine, at least not if I wanted to have my votes uh, you know, recorded correctly or uh, in the actual party I was uh, hoping to vote for, stuff like that. Now, I've got one theory, and for the benefit of listeners outside of California, one of the ballot measures that passed is uh, what I think is a poorly framed open primary uh, process that uh, if it withstands uh, court challenges, will go into effect. Yeah. And it appears that these electronic machines, both of which uh, you try to use, that don't have designations for which party you wanted to vote in in the primary, these are set for the future. Yes. <laughs> they would work just fine, wouldn't they, in yeah. a future election? Yeah. With, you know, when you take away the party ballots in a primary, these machines are perfectly aligned, mm-hmm. but not for the 2010 California primary. But that's correct. And although there will, I, I suspect, be so many uh, uh, candidates to choose from at that point, since all parties, I presume, will be on the same uh, ballot. That's right. And it already takes so long to use these audio uh, balloting systems, even if they do work correctly. I may as well start voting for the 2012 election now. Number 64, Orly Tates. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, what an unbelievable mess. I had to, uh, you know, at that point, they said, well, they called the county, and the county said, well, we're checking with, we're trying to get in touch with the supervisor, whoever that would be, Mm -hmm. and they're going to call us back. And after waiting about a half hour, I said, you know what? Polls are closing on the East Coast. i got to get home. I've been here for two and a half hours trying to cast a ballot. And not because of a long line. There was no line. I walked right in. It still took me two and a half hours to not cast a ballot on Los Angeles County's dreadful e-voting system. I had to go ahead and vote uh, manually and fill in the bubbles myself and well, at that point, you put it through the op scan, and who knows if anything is recorded correctly. But just another absolute fail, a complete and utter disaster here in the largest voting jurisdiction in the country. And I suspect it's quite possible that every single voter who used this machine ended up having every single one of their votes uh, recorded incorrectly. And, Brad, back in 08, when uh, four out of 12 of your votes were misprinted, yeah. uh, was there any pattern in, in the way they, they flipped your choices or, or mis, uh, misrecorded them? There was not. What we were able to determine, and, and they really, I mean, uh, to their credit, you know, they quarantined the machine. Uh, they invited me to a, a test of the entire thing to show exactly what happened. They were able to figure it out. Uh, and it was a problem with the uh, with the having put in the wrong uh, polling number. I was in fact just like this time uh, voting out of order, uh, mm-hmm. so it was printing out my ballot thinking I was at a different uh, different precinct. Mm-hmm. So it was a different uh, ballot rotation. It doesn't appear to have been someone gaming the system as much as somebody just completely screwing it up. There's an interesting anomaly in the GEMS tabulation software here in Marin County on election night, uh, only related to a series of very local um, ballot measures in different towns and communities. Yeah. 
and it would print the vote tally and the percentage on one line all jammed together. And so, for example, the yes on measure F at one point was showing uh, uh, out of uh, 6,000 votes cast, 2,152.79%. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> and after a while, we will a- we were able to figure uh, that if you, you broke up the numbers starting from the right and looked at the first few numbers as percentages, then the remainder was the actual vote tally. Uh, so it was much less popular than at first believed. Indeed. Uh, and it, it does appear that the numbers matched uh, in the end, but the way it was displayed... Uh, was uh, very confusing and and a little disconcerting at at, at first glance. So, um, yeah. uh, you know... And, uh, by the way, I would tell you what company to complain to about that. Yes. But as we'll get to in, uh, in our scoop here <laughs> in a minute, I have no idea who actually runs that uh, gem system anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, we will get to that in a few. Yeah. Now, let's go to Arkansas where Blanche Lincoln uh, was forced into a runoff, uh, and that was uh, on May 18th when they held their primary. Then this past Tuesday, which was a kind of super Tuesday, uh, most uh, many, many states across the country held primaries, uh, things changed sharply, and the vote tallies for her opponent, Bill Halter, also declined, and uh, on election night, Blanche Lincoln was named the winner. But Brad Blog and others have been uh, diving into this story. And tell us what you've discovered in the way that uh, precincts were combined and uh, many voters uh, perhaps did lose the opportunity to vote in the June 8th runoff. Yeah, well, you know, Arkansas has been a mess for years. We have reported on uh, various meltdowns. They use uh, the dreadful ES&S company, uh, both touchscreens and uh, uh, paper ballots across the state. And it has been a mess year after year after year, but few people notice it. Um, this year, you know, uh, let, let me caution, well, a couple of points up front. One, a lot of times problems in elections don't reveal themselves until the days and weeks and even sometimes months after an election because it's so difficult to go through uh, the numbers to make public records requests to get you know copies of uh, poll tapes and so on and so forth so we don't yet know what happened and it could be very legitimately that Blanche Lincoln suddenly won out there in Arkansas however there are some concerns amongst them. One of the one that you mentioned, uh, the uh, polling places, specifically in Garland County, one of the largest counties. There's 75 counties in Arkansas. On uh, the May 18th, the general primary day, they had 42 uh, polling places open. Mm-hmm. But for uh, the race uh, on Tuesday, the runoff in this hotly contested U.S. Senate primary. They had shut it down to just two precincts. Mind you, 12,000 voters had moved through those 42 polls uh, in the May 18th election, and now all 12,000 of them or more, since it was a hotly contested race, are now forced to vote on two polling places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some folks had to drive uh, 15, 20 miles just to get to either one of them. There was concerns uh, last week leading up to that that there was, you know, going to be long, impossibly long lines for folks. And indeed, 
that came to pass. There were uh, impossibly long lines. Uh, there was uh, people couldn't park. They had to call out the police to direct traffic. And um, looking at it now, though this was Bill Halter's, one of his biggest uh, counties where he had defeated Blanche Lincoln, somehow or another, uh, Blanche Lincoln defeated Halter this time around in Garland County. Uh, add to that, I should, I should mention, uh, last Saturday, the election commissioner, Charlie Tapp, who was the one who unilaterally decided to shut it down to just two polls, didn't even take a vote, apparently, of the other two commissioners. Um, he had announced that, well, to ease the traffic, uh, given the complaints, they were going to open the polls on Saturday for one early voting day. Uh, he had gotten the okay from the Secretary of State in Arkansas, Charlie Daniels, happens uh. to be his name. <laughs> and, uh, South's uh, going to do it again. They would be open for uh, open for voting on Saturday, and hundreds of voters apparently showed up on Saturday, only to find a sign on the door that said, "No, according to uh, Arkansas election code, there will be no voting today after all." Mm. And that was shut down. Uh, Charles Tapp has now resigned, thankfully, mm-hmm. uh, from his uh, position there. Uh, but uh, you know, the damage is done. And looking at Garland County. Uh, I see only uh, nine other counties in the entire state which had a lower turnout than Garland County. Perhaps that was because they had just two polling places open and uh, people couldn't vote or you know couldn't even get there to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge mess. Whether there was enough votes uh, that could have uh, gone there to make a difference in the race, we still don't know, and we still have serious concerns about the rest of the state, because remember, as you correctly said earlier, you know, Blanche Lincoln was reported the winner, but she was reported the winner by the ESNS voting machines, not by anybody who actually counted these votes. Mm-hmm. Following the May 18th election, uh, I did a report at bradblog.com, which I'll recommend to folks, which shows in one tiny county, Monroe County, Arkansas, um, where they had about 20 polling places open uh, on Tuesday, by the way, with just uh, about 3,000 voters total there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, more than 1,000 votes disappeared between the May 18th election and the time they finally certified them on, uh, on May 25th. I have spoken with the uh, head uh, of the uh, state elections at the Secretary of State's office. I have spoken with the uh, the county clerk, the election commissioner, the election coordinator in Monroe County, and nobody can explain what has happened to thousands of votes. We've got screenshots from election night showing that uh, you know I can't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but something like five thousand voters had voted mm-hmm. uh, by May twenty fifth. Only 3,000 voters had voted. Some candidates had gone from, you know, having 350-something votes on, a, on election night to one vote by the time the vote was tallied. Now, you often hear about votes being added to the total, you know, as absentees and provisionals are added in. But thousands of votes disappearing in a county where there was only uh, only turned out to be, I think it was 2,179 votes cast total, and more than a thousand of them had previously disappeared. 
Well, in retail, they call that shrinkage, which is a nice way of calling pilferage <laughs> well, <laughs> by another I, name. You know, I, who knows? I don't. I don't know. I mean, the election officials all say they don't even know what mm-hmm. happened; that they were unaware of the original numbers. So. Who knows? And by the way, in this case, it was about a thousand uh, votes from the uh, Senate Republican primary that vanished into thin air. Very strange. The reason I mention it, aside from the fact that it is still unexplained, is that, you know, don't trust the numbers you get on election night. Pay attention to what's going on. And I, I tell folks all the time as they're looking at results throughout the night and in the days after, take screenshots of those results as you see them online because a lot of times we'll find a week later that they have completely changed and there's no you know decent reason for why they have changed this is a, a remarkable story i think out of monroe county and i uh, can only hope that folks are combing over those numbers in arkansas uh, although, you know, you know the way our system works, Peter, it may be too late even if they do find something yeah. wrong. Now, this guy in Garland County, uh, Commission Chairman Charles Tapp, yeah. uh, has he ever claimed uh, Ken Blackwell of Ohio as a mentor, <laughs> and is he co-chair of the Blanche Lincoln re-election committee? <laughs> I, you know, he, he might as well be. Uh, I think he was appointed by what, what the folks in, in Arkansas are saying, the, the progressives out there, is that he was appointed by the uh, Garland uh, Democratic Central Committee and that they apparently were backing uh, Blanche Lincoln, as I understand it. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a reason to believe that he was certainly part of that Arkansas machine that, that was pushing for Blanche Lincoln. Yeah. Very interesting. Yep. Well, I hope we get to the bottom of this one, but in Arkansas, I don't know, uh, between Tyson Chicken and Walmart, <laughs> there are a lot of places to bury things. Indeed. Indeed. So um, uh, let's next go to Arizona. And, Brad, in the conversations you and I have had over the years about uh, cleaning up elections, yeah. uh, Arizona's one bright spot mm-hmm. has been the clean election system that they implemented, uh, implemented what, about four years ago? Uh, yeah, I want to say 2000, 2002, actually. Oh, okay. It might have been longer. Maybe longer than that. Yeah. And it's a really a, 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 a leading uh, program or uh, example yeah. of taxpayer-financed uh, elections where the candidates need to show uh, contributions in small amounts from a relatively large number of people in order to qualify for uh, funds from the state. And there are stipulations in there that if you have a Meg Whitman billionaire running against you, uh, that the taxpayers will give you more money so that you can be competitive. And so I think it's a very interesting system. But apparently the Roberts Supreme Court uh, alarmingly has ruled uh, in a way that invalidates much of the Arizona clean election bill. Yeah, and how long are we going to be alarmed when the Roberts Supreme Court does something like this? I mean, these guys are systematically gutting, I mean, just absolutely gutting, uh, you know, every restriction that currently exists against, you know, corporate money, uh, millionaires, and so forth in our election system. I mean, the one thing, when you talk to folks in Arizona, and Lord knows I spend a lot of time talking to folks in Arizona given the problems they've had with their electoral system. Uh, they all seem to agree, of all parties, that Arizona's clean election bill is a t- tremendous success. Yeah. 
they've had uh, you know candidates who would never have had the money to run uh didn't have the insider connections and so forth have not only run gotten on the ballot but have actually won and taken office they all seem to absolutely love that bill and it was uh, similar to one that might have passed but didn't on tuesday apparently uh, out here in California, mm-hmm. where they were looking at experimenting with a similar bill, it would have applied for now only to the Secretary of State's position. Right. Um, but yeah, the, and and, it, and the, yeah. the same voters who embraced a billionaire and a multimillionaire candidate, each of which has zero political experience and uh, you can't even prove that they've ever even voted as citizens, uh, they prefer those money bags to a clean election pilot program. It was limited to the Secretary of State's office. Well, I, I cannot understand the voters of California. I, well, in fact, the, the uh, I think a lot of folks just simply didn't understand it. Uh, you know, initiatives like that don't have the backing of huge corporations or of Arnold Schwarzenegger or in the case of Prop 16, which I'm happy to report does appear to have lost. It did, yeah. It uh, doesn't have the, you know, the, the support of millions of dollars of uh, disinformation put out there by PG&E. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these initiatives either stand on their own or, or they don't based on what people read on the ballots. And I can't tell you why people seem to have voted against it, but it, it is very troubling. More troubling, I suspect, is the fact that, you know, Arizona, which did have this law already in place to great success, had the entire thing essentially gutted at this point by an activist Supreme Court who doesn't give a damn about states' rights. So when you hear them referred to as conservative, you know, please scoff at that, because these guys are apparently anything but conservative. They once again stuck their nose into a, you know, a state's rights issue and said that this uh, millionaire, he's allowed to run for, uh, well, for governor in this case. It's a very limited decision for now. He's allowed to run for governor for, you know, with, with his own millions of dollars, but the three candidates he's running against are not allowed to have money to, uh, to match him. I, it's just it's extraordinary. I suppose the one upside is that this race actually involves uh, Jan Brewer, the horrendous uh, Republican who has ascended to the governorship thanks to uh, Barack Obama. Right. Jan, show me your papers, Brewer. That's her. Uh, she was counting on this money. She's only got about 200000 of her own. And this other guy, uh, and she was, she was going to get something like $2.1 million. Now she's going to be left scrambling uh, to figure out how to run against him, along mm-hmm. with the other candidates who are also running against him. So maybe that's maybe I kid, but maybe that's some good news. But the fact that uh, they seem to be killing Arizona's bill, which has been uh, in place and much beloved now for a bunch of years, is just appalling. But another sign of what this Supreme Court is willing to do to gut everything that this nation believes in. And I'll finish that thought by uh, once again thanking John Kerry for that. Well, and also I want to encourage uh, listeners to go to bradblog.com and read this article for yourself. Uh, Brad referenced his opening line, which is dead on accurate, in a burst of judicial activism, the Supreme Court dot dot dot. And the other uh, gem here is the photograph of the Supreme Court members and uh, the conservatives, and you include uh, Justice Kennedy there, because he often, uh, like he did this time, goes yeah. the wrong way with them. Uh, the conservatives are all showing corporate logos on their black robes. 
And uh, I don't know who photoshopped that, but they deserve credit. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, and of course, this one can't be appealed. Uh, It's already made it to the top of our court system. Mm -hmm. And so this once again stymies the efforts to uh, clean up the very corrupt uh, campaign finance system that we have in this country. And it pushes us a, a, a big step back from the modest efforts that have been made to curb uh, the role of, of big money, whether it's coming from wealthy individuals or the corporations that the Supreme Court sanctioned to enter candidate campaigns in the, uh, the decision Citizens United that was issued earlier this year. One mitigating point you can add is that while this decision uh, was made, it's a single paragraph, it was made as an emergency order without hearings. Um, it, it, applies, uh, for, it applies only for now, although it won't be heard in full probably until after the election, but hopefully they'll, you know, at this point, bring the entire matter of this law to the Supreme Court so it can have a proper hearing down the road, at which time uh, perhaps they will allow the law to stand. But I wouldn't hold your breath, given what the Supreme Court has done of late. Yeah. Well, Brad, finally, you promised us a scoop, and uh, this is a story that will be appearing very soon at bradblog.com. Uh, go ahead and serve it up. Yeah, and I know we're running late, so uh, by the actually, no, by no, the no, time we, we, uh, we got podcast... I believe is released. Uh, hopefully, it'll already be at the top of bradblog.com. But uh, we can report there is a new power player, a new e-voting Goliath in the U.S. election market. I'm sorry to say, uh, some folks may remember uh, some months ago when ESNS, who had been the largest voting company in the world, purchased Diebold Premier. They renamed themselves Premier, mm-hmm. uh, for a pittance, $5 million. Well, the DOJ dithered about, uh, and uh, it took some months, but they finally said no to that purchase, and they forced ESNS to sell off the Diebold assets. By that point, much of the damage had been done. A lot of the jurisdictions who had used Diebold had already moved their contracts to ESNS. Nonetheless, they forced them to move uh, to sell off the assets, uh, and in May, it was announced that Canadian firm Dominion, one of the most, uh, can you come up with a more uh, tyrannical sounding name, <laughs> Dominion Voting, uh, purchased those assets, put out a press release, stated that uh, they were delighted to bring the, uh, quote, much needed competition back to the U.S. voting market. That's what this Canadian firm had to say. Mm-hmm. And that was May. Now, late last Friday, in a uh, press release noticed by, um, let me think, nobody (laughs) other than me, uh, Dominion announced a second purchase, that of the third largest voting machine company in the U.S., Sequoia, our old friends at Sequoia Voting System. Uh, They have now taken over both Diebold and Sequoia, giving them a market share that may even outrank ESNSs, depending on how you count it. And again, nobody has paid attention. It's a Canadian firm. And to make matters worse, when they put out their press release last Friday, they didn't say anything for some reason about competition anymore, mm-hmm. given that they had now pretty much taken over the U.S. voting market. Uh, but they did claim that they had purchased all of Sequoia's assets, including 
their all of their intellectual property from their voting mis, uh, voting systems. That, however, is a lie, and I've had it confirmed as much by the company. They lied. In fact, as the Brad blog revealed, some boy, I think two or three years ago at this point, uh, the IP information, the, the intellectual property for the Sequoia voting machines is not even owned by Sequoia. It's owned <laughs> by... Next you're going to tell me the Bilderberg Group owns it. Uh, well, <laughs> almost. Uh, it's actually owned by a company named Smartmatic, which seems to be tied to Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. Oh, nice. So Hugo Chavez uh, has been uh, having a control over... 20% of American elections via Sequoia, that raised the hackles of the right-wingers about three years ago when they first discovered it. And uh, the federal um, uh, CFIUS came in, did an investigation, and forced Smartmatic, who had been the parent company of Sequoia, forced Smartmatic to sell off Sequoia to a bunch of uh, 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 Sequoia executives who spun off uh, the company, supposedly made it independent, until I discovered that, no, they sold off everything but the intellectual property, which is still owned by Smartmatic. And when Sequoia was subsequently sold last week to Dominion, and Dominion announced that they had purchased all of the intellectual property of Sequoia, well, I checked in with the uh, person listed as the information contact on that press release to ask them about that, and it turned out to be the former Diebold spokesperson, <laughs> who happens to be the former press secretary to Georgia's Secretary of State, as the revolving door continues, the one with the unfortunately uh, unfortunate name of Chris Rigall. Hmm... Yes, Mr. Rigall, a terrible name for a voting machine spokesperson, uh, told me that, in fact, no, uh, Dominion did not buy the IP because, in fact, Sequoia does not own it. It's still owned by Smartmatic, a Venezuelan company tied to Hugo Chavez. That's the mess that we have. Dominion, uh, this company that has come out and uh, you know claimed transparency, by the way, they, they claim that they're going to be transparent, at least with the Premier software, and make that publicly available. We'll see if that's the case. They talk about their culture of transparency in the company. Therefore, I asked if, if they were transparent enough to share their purchase agreement with me, which they said, of course, they could not uh, do so because that's proprietary information. So we didn't get that information, but they did confirm that, in fact, they don't own the IP. It's still owned by the Venezuelan company. And, and Brad, uh, and do, you, do, you, do you suspect yeah. that it was your query that caused them to learn that, whoops, we didn't get the intellectual property we thought we bought? Uh, you know, I'm actually following that up now. Uh, there'll be, uh, by the time uh, this podcast is out, hopefully I'll have the full story. I'm following that, uh, following that up because they do claim in the press release that CFIUS uh, reviewed this purchase in detail and signed off on it. They also say that the Department of Justice and nine states' attorney general signed, attorneys general signed off on it. And my question uh, to Chris Rigall <laughs> is, A, uh, were these officials even informed about the fact that Sequoia didn't own their own intellectual property? And uh, B, why did they lie about it in their press release? I hope by the time uh, folks listen to this, I'll have the answer, and I will include it in my story at Bradblog, because 
I don't know why they lied, and I don't even know if Chris Rigall even knew about it until I asked that question. Wow. Uh, can I suggest a scoreboard to uh, help people understand Diebold, Premier, Dominion, Sequoia, ES&S, Smartmatic? <laughs> it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to follow the bouncing ball in these transactions. Yeah, well, instead of, perhaps instead of using company names, we can just use country names at this point. Um, none of them, other than ES&S at this point, being owned by anybody who even lives in the United States. And ES&S still connected to the Hegel brothers? Uh, well, theoretically, no. Yeah. Uh, but you're talking about uh, Hegel having a Senator Hegel having um, early, I think, who was a president or, or uh, head of the board of directors for ES&S, largest voting machine company, based in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on that board apparently until ES&S machines somehow managed to help him become the senator from Nebraska, the first Republican senator, as I recall in about uh, 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm. once they began using the ES&S systems. A small, incestuous world driven by electrons and greed. It is indeed, <laughs> and, you know, on that point, I've got the uh, photograph. I had mentioned Chris Riggle used to be the press secretary for the uh, Georgia Secretary mm-hmm. of State. Right. Kathy Cox, they were the first state, along with the Maryland, uh, in the country to bring in Diebold's 100% uh, unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Shortly afterwards, Ms. Cox, who used to be the boss of Chris Riggle, appeared on Diebold's uh, sales brochure, uh, touting them uh, to the rest of the country. And, of course, I have the picture of her smiling, the smiling face of cover girl Kathy, as I like to call her, <laughs> in my Brad blog article today. And where has she burrowed in more recently? Uh, she's probably corrupting elections somewhere. You know, I was uh, certain that would be the case. It turns out, no, she's actually the president of Young Harris College in Georgia. I'm very impressed because most of these guys, most of these election officials go immediately to work uh, for the voting machine companies. And, in fact, the most recent one, uh, you and I, Peter, over the years have talked about this uh, Pedro Cortez, the secretary of state up there in Pennsylvania, who never saw an unverifiable voting machine he didn't love. Uh, He just announced his retirement uh, a few weeks ago, leaving uh, his role of Secretary of State in Pennsylvania and going straight to the Internet voting company called Everyone Counts, whose uh, chief financial officer happens to be the former commissioner of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, Paul DiGregorio. And they must have greased up the revolving doors just in time for that. It's spinning and spinning. Brad Friedman, bradblog.com. Thanks for watching our elections carefully. Uh, I wish I could say my pleasure, Peter. Talk to you again soon. All right, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Peter B. Collins Show. Read all about it at bradblog.com. And send me your comments, Peter, at peterbcollins.com. Happy trails to Until we meet again Happy trails